The funny thing about paradise is that while it isn't free, the rent, property taxes, cost of groceries, utilities, and general cost of living is far more reasonable than you might expect. This is my conversation with Don Fleming. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't, and we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny podcast. I am your host, Hirsch Repun. And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. My guest today is Dawn Fleming, who has uh, likes to say she's literally been there and done that. And now with her husband, Tom, she owns and operates Overseas Life Redesign, which is a coaching and consulting company that encourages people to live their best life and possibly relocate to another country and possibly change everything up and have some fun with life. So uh, Dawn, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Hirsch. It's my honor to have you on. So here's a question for you that'll that'll kick us off. Why do we why would we have to relocate to another country when we can just stay put exactly where fate has deposited us and just kind of suffer in silence? Why can't we just do that? <laughs> well, you certainly can. <laughs> that is that is our option as human beings. We have free will. So, you know, I think there are philosophers that had that, you know, Yes. Life, right. To live is to suffer. Uh, yes. I don't really subscribe to that, that philosophy myself. But, you know, we aren't trees. We need not grow where we're planted. So, you know, that that is an option. But and it's interesting that you start off with this question, because that is something that I'm as my my book, Claim Your Dream Life, came out in, in March. I've been getting tons of feedback from people who really don't have plans to move overseas, but really love the content and sort of the process of realizing their dreams and, and really thinking deeply about what's, what matters, like what, what do they want to do while they're here? Well, this, you know, hourglass full of sand slips away from us, right? Yeah. We all have expiration dates and, and we can't just think, oh, someday, someday, forever. At some point, you know, if you want to want to live your life, yeah. you've got to do it. Yeah. And at some, at some point, and for a lot of people, as we were talking about before the show started, that sometime may be now. It yep. may be time to really reevaluate what our tolerance is for waiting. I used to have this idea in my mind when I was really young, in my early 20s, that my life would happen to me. That in other words, it hadn't happened yet. I was waiting for a thing to happen that would kickstart the things that I wanted. And I was doing my part but it still was like a magical, this idea that there was a magical thing that happened and it would pick you up and sweep you away into your, into your life. But I don't think that really happens. It, it probably can, but I don't, I don't know that that's how it works. Um, how does <laughs> I it work? I agree with you. I, I, can, I can really relate to that. That's yeah. I think in, in, okay. in a, a younger period of my life, I kind of felt like that as well. So I, I bet that's not that uncommon for people. No, I, 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 it, it mustn't be, you know, now, where did you start out? You start out in Minnesota, correct? Yes. Yes. I will always be from Minnesota. People ask me where I'm from and 
I say, well, that's complicated because I've lived lots of places, but I just got to spend two weeks there playing golf and seeing family and going to the fair and going to a Vikings game. I do bleed yep. purple. And so it just was really lovely to, to be there back home, as it were, even though that's really not my home anymore. It does feel like going home when I go there. So when you were growing up in Minnesota, what was your life like and what did you think might evolve for you? Like, did you have a dream? Did you have a, a a fantasy life that you wanted to pursue? Well, I think it's it's funny. I, I have to laugh about this. So when I was with my first husband, we were actually in college and we, they used to load up 747s full of, you know, extremely white potents and take them down to the tropics in January. And it was, a, in fact, that's how Sun Country Airlines got their start is they do Saturday to Saturday charters and they would load up these 747s with these Minnesotans and take them down and they'd be white when they left and they'd be red when they got back because they were all sunned, yeah. of course, because their skin hadn't seen the sun in six months. But at any rate, that was the first time in my life, I was probably in my late 20, mid to late 20s, well, maybe a little bit earlier than mid 20s maybe. And I like the light bulb went on and I went, wait a minute, winter doesn't look the same everywhere. Like it's not the frozen tundra. And even though you may know that on an intellectual level, when you're extracted from blizzard conditions, 40 below zero, let's say ice, cold, snow, and you are suddenly in 80 degree weather and what you go, wow. And that was kind of the thing when the light bulb went on, it's like, I don't have to suffer for six months right. in the snow. Right. I can go somewhere else. And that was actually, I think after that, that, that my first husband and I started talking about, you know, let's get the heck out of here. Like, <laughs> we don't have to stay here. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes that's what it takes. It takes us to be removed from our environment, right? And, and be completely taken out and, and a whole different experience for us to really expand the way that we think and, and what's possible. Yeah. I grew up in Miami and, you know, it was... It was great in, in that sense, in terms of the, the weather being more tropical. It certainly was hot and, and humid. And I longed for a little bit of snow, just a little bit, just a taste of what it was like. Then I lived in New York for 10 years and I was like, okay, that was enough of that. Went to California. And then now my wife and I, she's from Iowa. We happen to be living in Iowa. So we're right near, right near your yeah. home state. And it's another experience, but honestly, everybody wants a break from whatever their norm is. So that's not unusual, but the wherewithal to pick up and start a new life in a new place, or even explore a new place for any length of time, other than a week or two weeks is where it gets unusual. But tell me, tell me some more of your, of your story of how you started to move around in general. So yeah, so that's that's basically what we did. So my my first husband was a doctor, and so he every year they match all the medical students with residency programs, and we happened to be matched at UCI University of California Irvine, and that's how I ended up in Southern California. And then when we got divorced, I just wasn't going back to the frozen tundra. I didn't know where else to go, so I just just stayed, and I ended up being there for twenty years, thankfully, because I I met my husband Tom. But we, it was really an interesting experience, obviously moving to somewhere where you know literally no one at all and 
at that point in time, that was since that was the first time, I didn't really have the skill set to really understand how to navigate that. But one of the things that happened is that first month we were there, he actually didn't start. We moved beginning of June. He didn't start till July. So the whole month of June, we just played. You know, we're in Southern California. Mm-hmm. We're traveling. We went to the Bay Area. We did all these things. And, and we played golf. And I happened to meet a, a retired couple on the golf course who had a mortgage company logo on his shirt. And I had had worked in real estate and been in the mortgage industry. And I didn't think there was any opportunity to work in that industry because it's a it's about your network, right? And I didn't have anybody, like I didn't know a soul. And so I just, we struck up a conversation and, and he said, well, I don't run the company anymore. My son does. I don't know really what's going on, but you know, tell him, give him a call. And it actually ended up being a dream job. I mean, I I ended up being the in-house mortgage person for this real estate company with like a hundred agents. Like they, they gave me a desk in their office and they brought me deals. I mean, it just really, so I guess the lesson there is don't, don't count yourself out. If you just, because you think, well, I, I don't have this or I don't have that. Like you just never know what comes across your path and, and there may be doors that, that get opened for you that you're, you're not expecting. It didn't happen right away. It was a few months into it. I had actually taken another job in marketing for a property management company, but then I got the call and they're like, well, things are moving ahead quicker than we thought. And we need you, you know, when can you, when can you start? And so that kind of allowed me to get into this, this network, but, you know, fast forward 20 years later, when Tom and I decided to move Florida, by then I had become a pro at networking and mm-hmm. I'm, I've always, and I think we're both alike that way. If you really like people, you like meeting new people, you begin, you are good at asking questions and, you know, people love to talk about themselves. Like, you know, that's probably the biggest tip I can give you is just be curious about people. Just ask them questions. That's how I started my podcast, actually, was just curiosity. I just wanted to hear these stories. I knew I had jumped on a 50-foot sailboat and left Southern California, sailed 5,000 miles through the Panama Canal, lived in Florida for six years, and then moved overseas. Not everybody does that, right? There's all sorts of different ways that people have new experiences. And so I just was curious, well, what was your experience? How did you end up in the same place that I ended up in? Because it was mostly people on this little Caribbean island, Indians and Americans for the most part, that had really fascinating stories. And there was just so much wisdom in what they were saying and, and, you know, getting out of their comfort zone and how uncomfortable they really were initially. And a lot of them had lived other places before they moved here. So what was their experience going to a country where you know, maybe like one lady, I mean, she was in Korea, didn't speak a word of Korean and and just went to Korea and started teaching, you know, and, mm-hmm. and English. Right. And I'm like, how do you do that? How do you teach people who don't speak English, English from the very beginning? Just really fascinating stories. And I think that's if you have any curiosity at all, I mean, that's that's the best way to to meet new people and and really have your mind expanded to really glean from these experiences that other people have. Yeah, and we're so and we're so used to having very measured conversations about very specific things, usually work or some kind of thing we need to take care of. You know, we in some cases we try to make our interactions as brief as possible, you know, with the pandemic, the the element of curiosity kind of went away for quite a while because we were just in survival mode. And I think that left us a little bit at a disadvantage because even though things have opened up a little bit and we're 
we you know those skills may not be may not be sharp at the moment and yet we're longing for fulfillment and adventure tell my uh, listeners a little bit about where you live now and then we'll get into overseas life redesign and talk about how people can actually try to accomplish this Sure. So I live in Paradise, also known as Isla Mujeres, Mexico. It's actually been consistently ranked one of the top 10 islands in the world by Conte Nest Traveler. And I, I used to say it's an 18-minute ferry ride and a world away from Cancun. However, Cancun has arrived. We get about twenty to 25,000 visitors a day now, this little oh, island wow. that's 4.3 miles long. So it is a little bit overwhelming. But Playa Norte, which is a five-minute walk from my house, was just ranked the number one beach in Mexico and it is also ranked a top 10 beach in the world. So it is really, I, I have people tell me all the time, oh my gosh, Don, you're living my dream life. And I'm like, well, you can do it too, right? It's, it doesn't have to be just mine. But it was not something we planned to do. We actually invested in real estate here on the island in 2016. And then we decided to move a year later. And the, the main reason for that was we got killed in the 2008 crash, like many people. And we were really leery about investing in the United States again, having had real estate licenses in two states and also being an international contracts attorney and understanding the rules about buying property in Mexico. I just, to me, it was a safer bet. And I do talk about that in Claim Your Dream Life. There's a lot of misconceptions around that whole uh, process of, of purchasing real estate and all of that. So after a year, you know, we had a business, we could live anywhere. And so we just did, I didn't call it that then, but, but it's since uh, been referred to as a beta test where we just came down for a month to try it out. And we discovered it was the month of August and we realized it was actually more pleasant in Isla Mujeres than it was in Florida in the summertime. And you, if you grew up in Miami, you know what I'm talking yeah. about, right? <laughs> so we said, you know, what the heck? And we still have our sailboat. So we just sailed down and that was really our plan. It's like, well, let's just live on our boat. And our home was a, an investment property. It was a vacation rental that we purchased. And we just tried it out. We're like, let's try it out. If we like it, we, we'll stay. If we don't, our house moves, we'll go somewhere else. And that was really how it all came about. And, and I've, as I've interviewed lots and lots of people, that's sort of the attitude. It doesn't have to be forever. It's just for now, right? Whether it's a one yeah, month yeah. beta test or it's a year sabbatical, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you don't have to make a huge commitment to to try out this lifestyle and see if it works for you. Yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the idea that the, the life isn't necessarily about permanence. Like we should intellectually understand that, but you know, the notion of, okay, this is our starter home. This is our second home. This is our family home that will be like more of a homestead and people will come and visit. And, you know, like my wife was saying recently, she said, do you really think that the kid, that the, all the kids and grandkids and all those people really want to come? Like, like where we pick the place that we think is going to be the most attractive or the most appealing for them that, that we're really going to get, what are they going to live here? Are they going to come here all the time? People will come, people will visit you. You know, maybe it's better to be able to visit them all wherever they are. Maybe that's a better plan. And I really like that 
notion because, and then the other thing that she brought up was, well, you also know, like, if we strive to get a bigger place that everybody can come to, then we have to keep it up, right? And we have to host and we have to become like hosts and not, and not, you know, travelers or guests or, or whatever. We're not bringing the, the party to them. We're making the party. You know, yeah. we're always making the party. And that's that's a lot of pressure too. For but sure. that leads me to to ask about when you do move, are you leaving family behind? Are you leaving friends behind? What's that what's that side of it? Well, and, and it's I'm glad you bring this up because I think it's something that is sort of an afterthought. When, when folks do this, they're so focused on the tactics and the strategies and the mechanics of, you know, where am I going to live and how am I going to, am I going to keep my phone? Am I going to get a, a new service in wherever I live? I mean, how am I going to access the internet? What am I going to do with all of my belongings? Where am I going to, you know, am I going to sell my place? Am I going to rent it out? I mean, there's all of these sort of mechanical decisions that need to be made as part of this process. But the thing that is probably the most important, and, and this is true really whether you, in retirement, whether you retire overseas or you retire, retire domestically, is they focus on the financial piece, but then the, the purpose and meaning and the, the community and all of these other elements that are really what gives us the richness in our lives aren't really a consideration. And so what ends up happening is a lot of times you see a three to six month period of, of really kind of depression set in. And it's like, oh my gosh, I, I wasn't thinking about all of these sort of softer things of, you know, the relationships that you leave behind. And did I leave well? Do I, do I have a strategy in place so that my loved ones know that I still love them? And, you know, how can I, I cultivate that before I go? and put these these things in place knowing like you you know maybe you have a plan to to visit every so often and and making sure that they're aware that oh I'm coming back on this day or that day i mean it doesn't have to be terribly complicated but i think it is definitely part of the the consideration in the process is what's your strategy for keeping those connections that you're leaving behind but also creating that new support community as you go abroad. I, I spoke with one of my friends that I knew years ago that found out she's Canadian, lived in British Columbia, lived in San Diego in the States for a long time, and then has since moved to the Lake Chapala area where there's tons of Canadians. And, you know, she says, when I moved to San Diego, you know, I baked cookies and I tried to go around and meet my neighbors, but nobody was home. And, you know, you, you aren't able to do that. It's actually much easier when you move abroad because you're typically dealing with communities where there are a lot of folks that aren't from there. And so they know what it's like to be the new person in town. And they're really eager to introduce you and to help you feel comfortable in your new home, whether it's short term or longer term, and sort of show you the ropes. It's, it's like a, a club you know, that, that you mm -hmm. become a part of if you put in the effort. I mean, obviously, if you, you stay in your house and you, you know, are you know, on your computer and, and you don't make the effort to go meet a few folks, you know, they may or may not knock on your door to come pull you out. But if you make any kind of effort at all, typically you, you will be surprised, particularly in Americans, I think, because 
you know, we just don't know our neighbors anymore. It's not like it used to be 50 years ago. So many people have moved to other communities or, you know, don't have that, that long-term, just like jobs, you know, nobody works a job for 40 years anymore. I mean, they, they move yeah. on, they're, 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 they're more mobile and that's not a bad thing. It's just, it does take more effort and more focus on the skills that you need to be able to have that richness of, of life and feeling like you're part of something, part of a community. And what's the demographic makeup? Speaking of having, you know, a lot of expats, let's say in your community, what's, what's it, how does it break down? Roughly? Well, it's, it's really interesting. My focus is really midlife 40 to 65. Although I work with people in their seventies because we're all, you know, the one of the fastest growing demographics is the centenarians, right? People are living yes. in their nineties and a hundred and, and living well. And how exciting is that? So that's kind of my demographic in, in particular professionals and entrepreneurs with very complicated lives like Tom and I have. My husband's an electrical engineer. I was an attorney. I mean, we had in SoCal, our lives were just so complicated with businesses and and everything that, that we had, you know, rental properties. And then, of course, when the crash hit, that was like super complication on top of already complicated, right? And so uh, how do you unwind that? How do you simplify and, and really distill down what's important to you and how you vision your future life, right? Because we can really create whatever we want to create. But that said, it's interesting now with the whole digital nomad crowd, and I've interviewed several of them in my podcasts, and they're really looking to have more of a, a nomadic lifestyle and not really be attached to the stuff. It's not about the white picket fence and, and the starter home. And, you know, I mean, they love Uber. I don't, you know, I've got a friend in Manhattan. He doesn't, he doesn't even have a driver's license. You know, he, he doesn't have a car, you know, and, and he's traveling to Morocco and he, he's of Puerto Rican descent, but is actually looking at, had never lived there, you know, grew up in the States and is looking at investing in Puerto Rico. Taz, this, this really fun and has a, a remote business. He can work from anywhere. He came down here for a month after COVID and stayed because we didn't have anybody in our vacation uh, villa. We, people still weren't traveling yet. And, and he wanted to get out of, out of New York. And so he came down and stayed for a month and just worked down here. And, and so you have this sort of freedom and flexibility with technology that we've never ever had before. So there's sort of a disconnect between sort of our conditioning and, and what we, a lot of us, particularly, you know, my generation or the, the Gen Xers grew up with it still not really having that freedom and flexibility that the younger generations just take for granted in many ways. The younger generations also are going to be facing much more than our generation and older are but still are going to be facing on the technology front, the notion of virtual life and life in the metaverse. And, you know, and, and it's interesting to me because I wonder as someone who has found that idyllic real life place, if you have any thoughts on this notion of, well, if you could live virtually, if you could upload your brain and, you know, and this isn't like fantasy, this is just a matter of time. It's really a matter of, of a little bit of time. If you could upload your brain and live wherever you want to live virtually, but you physically wouldn't be there. What does that arouse in you when you hear that, that kind of stuff? 
I think that's frightening personally, but yeah. I did watch the, the first season of the, that show up, upload. It was, yeah, really, right. it was exactly. really fascinating. Right. That was just, it was kind of mind blowing. I'm like, wow, this is, this is really bizarre. But I thought it was interesting. They they preserved the financial divide, right, between the the ones who are living virtually in poverty and then mm -hmm. you know living well in the you know the expensive country club afterlife. I thought that was pretty fascinating. But I don't know. I guess I'm a little little bit more of a traditionalist in that way. I I really believe mind, body, and spirit are needed to be all healthy at once. And, and so if, if you're, you know, skinny and perfect in, in your virtual reality, why do you need to take care of your health? Why do you need mm -hmm. to eat right? Why do you need to exercise? I guess those, that's kind of where my mind goes is I don't think that's sustainable. Long -term. I think you've, I think you've hit on a really great point, which is that spiritually the, the union, the human experience is a union of the physical you know, the spiritual, our minds, our imaginations, our realities. And in a way, I think that may be the thing that you hit on it, which makes me, you know, dubious about that notion, which is that there's something missing. Now I get it. We, you know, we would be able to, you know, we would be able to maintain our health in some way if we're, if we become a completely virtual being and then you have the sensory experiences and whatever, I guess if, if that were your goal, you know, but let's bring it back down to, to reality in the moment a little bit and talk about how relocating and retiring internationally is maybe not as difficult as people think. A lot of people are daunted by the idea of saving for it, executing it. Can you shed a little light on that? Absolutely. Tim Ferriss, I think, coined the term originally, something called geo-arbitrage. And having just spent two weeks in the United States and, and traveled there multiple times this year, I'm astounded at how much things cost, whether yeah. it's housing, groceries, Healthcare, boy, you want to get people excited about a topic. All I have to do is, is talk about that. And it's really when we come back here to a place where we don't stress about healthcare. I did a whole podcast episode on our recent experience of accessing top shelf health, top shelf healthcare at bargain basement prices. And we pay, I have insurance. My husband is 70. He has Medicare as a backup. We take no pharmaceutical drugs. We eat healthy. We exercise. And we haven't, neither one of us had seen a doctor in about five years. And it's like, honey, you know, we both had these milestone birthdays. I turned 60. He turned 70. I said, you know, we should probably have the check under the hood and, and check the tire pressure and, and get an oil change and all these things. And, and so I, the podcast is our, our whole experience of, getting our own medical records, getting our own tests, going and getting our own blood tests, having it come to our email in, in the same day, going to a doctor, getting an appointment within a couple of days, having the doctor spend 30, 45 minutes a piece with us, going through our blood test most recently and the one from five years ago to look and compare what had changed. I mean, it was just a pleasant experience. Never the word insurance even entered our, our mind. Mm. I pay $130 a month for my health insurance for a global policy. I mean, that's just one area. You, the housing situation. I did a podcast, Single Mom Lives Like a Million, in, in not that far from the Lake Chapala area I, I talked about. Rents a two-acre 
house for about $350 a month, has three girls in private schools, takes three to four vacations a year, has a staff of four people that she supports who take care of everything for her. So all she does is get to focus on being a mom without having all the stresses of being a single. Folks that are trying to survive on social security, which is poverty level in the United States, and being able to live a really good life and be able to have a nice place to live and be able to afford groceries and not have to worry about, you know, the cost of utilities and all of these things. So they're just, that's one of the biggest myths I think that exists is that, oh, I have to be rich or retired to live overseas. Actually, you can really up-level your quality of life and dramatically cut your expenses. And that's one of the first things I have people do. I gave a free workshop for a long time and then that actually became my book. So I talk about that is, is do a budget. How much are you spending right now? And then I, you know, I give examples of budgets of, of folks that, that have moved overseas and say, okay, how much realistically would it cost you per month if you, you know, jettisoned your, your current life? And a lot of times people have assets, you know, whether they're cars or toys or whatever that you can turn into cash. And people are often amazed at how much, you know, the pile of cash that you can have if you liquidate some of these things and be able to have a base that, you can you can live on but that's why the beta test is so important too is you can really have boots on the ground and get a very solid idea of how much things cost you know internet i know people pay you know 150 dollars a month for internet our, our bill is like 60 dollars for high-speed internet that we have yeah. on our vacation yeah. bill you can just go all the way down the line so that's you know that's one thing that i i try to educate people about is you know it's expensive to live in the united I think that that's, Dawn, one of the things that we really struggle with. We we appreciate all of the wonderful things that come with living in the in the U.S., but we also sometimes that's like, like has a lot to do with with this stretch of time that we've spent here in Iowa was this frustration with Los Angeles and going, you know, we're we're going nuts. We're running so fast to 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 maintain this and to not get really anywhere just to be able to do it. We just want to live in the mo one of the most expensive parts of one of the most expensive cities in the world and we're going to take that on. And yeah. it's and it's just it's just very especially after the crash and you know working your way back so whatever you had kind of like you know at that point in in our lives and you know it's like you just to get set back and then you're like okay this is really this is just really hard. This is just hard. And yeah, so it's the financial cost, but it's also yeah. that that mental cost. Now, a lot of folks are working remotely because, I mean, traffic, you know, the traffic in SoCal. Like, that yeah. was what, something yeah. I figured out very early on is I did not want to work far from where I lived, period, end of story. Like, I don't, you know, yeah. I wasn't going to spend that, that much of my life sitting in traffic. And it was astounding to me the number of people who did. But but that also, I mean, just the, the grind, it was really that that day-to-day -day grind and really not having the time to enjoy that. I mean, there's so much beauty in Southern California, right? But if you're working all the time, like we were to be able to, to afford to live there, like, do you really get to enjoy it much? Or if you're stressed out, 
Or if you're stressed out. You know, and that really dampens your your pleasure of it. How do you get around where you live now? Well, actually, we, for the first two years we lived here, we have a, had a Yamaha 115cc moto. And so we would ride that around. And taxis are very cheap. So if we wanted to go somewhere where we weren't on the moto, you know, go to a party or something like that, we just take a taxi. We did purchase a used Nissan Rogue and uh, paid probably less than half of what the same vehicle would have cost in the United States. Unfortunately, it's um, rusting as we speak because of the salt. So that's a whole nother issue, but you do have that to contend with. But a lot of folks get by without a car and there's, there's certainly people use golf carts here on the golf carts cost as much as about what we paid for the rogue and don't have air conditioning. You can't take them to Cancun to go to Costco and Home Depot and all these other things. So we elected to do the car instead of the the golf cart, but you know, and then the Island is only 4.3 miles long. So a lot of folks even will do bicycle or, you know, walk if they're, they're living uh, certain parts of the Island downtown. So there's, there's lots of, options there but many places outside the united states i mean there's there's mass transit available you know you you, a car isn't really necessary and like i said a lot of places taxis are are really inexpensive as well so we have lots of folks that that we know that don't don't have vehicles what are the what are the local the dynamic the local politics the kind of you know what is that like well, it's, <laughs> it changes. So it turns out the, the first mayor or presidente of the island actually was, was stealing. He was very corrupt and, and we're, we have a new mayor, female, who came into power October 1st. And, uh, you know, everything from building permits now, official building rep- permits are required as opposed to paying permiso, which was basically a bribe to have the, the folks look the other way to the transfer station for the trash dump, if you will, was not a dump, it was a transfer station. He, the the trucks broke down, there was no money. It was Isla Basura for a while, which is the word for trash. And she came in and and got money from the governor and, and cleaned that up. So I don't know, it's one thing that's interesting. I was asked to write an article for International Women's Day and I wrote it about the difference between Mexico and the U.S. in terms of representation of women. As you know, there's very small representation of women in the United States in most state and the federal legislatures. We, you know, we know there's never been a female president, but as it turns out in the late 90s, Mexico put in guidelines saying, you know, women are half the population, they should have half the representation. And that guideline eventually turned into statutory and currently Fully one half of the Mexican legislature is female now. So, and then of course, with the choice issue, the Mexican Supreme Court did decriminalize abortion. And so it's interesting, women actually have more rights and more representation in Mexico than they do in the United States, which is pretty hard to believe. Yeah, which which also is something, and you know, without, without getting you know, a politic, too political, because I don't think it really matters. I think people in the United States, let's put it this way, at the very least, everybody has to be pretty fed up, you know, politically sure. with, with, you know, and I, and I, you know, and I, I, I try to be a little bit of a student of American history and, you know, you could, you don't, you don't, you can go back quite a ways to the, to the problems that we're facing oh, sure. as far as, you know, our political system and the, the, the dysfunction of it. So this is not a new phenomenon. 
but people are are frustrated about it at the same time you know when we go through these things we're like okay well we should just look look into possibly moving to another country or you know there there is still this sense of identity as an american i grew up in a military family you know i have a lot of family that that served and you know so to me the idea of the united states of america is much more deeply ingrained than i might even think in a moment of of saying i oh i'll just move to portugal or i'll move here or there how do you feel about your connection to the united states versus <laughs> living you know in mexico yeah i actually have a section in my book called um the great american of exceptionalism as mm -hmm. a a sort of tragic thing that, oh, we're better than everybody else. We're number one, we're number right. one. And I talk about why that's a dangerous thing to believe on a, a couple of different levels. That said, I was a Girl Scout. I am an American through and through. I am a strong believer of American principles. Now, I hardly recognize my country, unfortunately, because the, a lot of those principles seem to have fallen by the wayside and actually actually been replaced by materialism. I mean, it's there's few places, whether you want to talk about big pharma, big ag, you know, the I mentioned, you know, the healthcare industry, the AMA. I mean, there's all sorts of moneyed interest, interests that are dictating policy in a way that we've what is there, four hundred lobbyists for every man? every yeah, every yeah. senator and, and the dark money, look at the, the campaign situation. And I don't know that that is going to be fixed anytime soon. I think it will eventually. But one of the things that that I, in, in, in actually branding, so I, I bought the domain opats.com. And I had a conversation actually with one of my mentors about a year ago about the word expat. I don't like it. It's a loaded word. It denotes a couple of different things. It was actually a diplomatic status, right? That that an expat yeah. had was how it originally came to be. But you know, all of the folks say from from Canada and and the U.S. that have moved to Mexico, they're often referred to as expats. Well, are they really? Aren't they really immigrants? What is the difference between an expat and an immigrant and a migrant? A lot of it is class. Right and and economic status and all that, so it's it's sort of a loaded word, and so I sort of come up with a new one, which is an OPAT, which stands for an overseas patriot, because I know the Canadians don't give up their sense of nationality when they leave, right? They're still flying the the maple leaf flag when they leave. So just because we choose to live in a different country doesn't mean we need to give up our nationality. There's and that's another myth that I, I address in a, in a guide I just put together, answer guide, the top 10 questions about moving overseas. People think you have to give up your passport to move overseas. That is absolutely not true. Dual citizenship is a thing. Now, I don't have it. I have permanent residency in Mexico. I may or may not get Mexican citizenship. It'll take four more after getting permanent residency. But the fact of the matter is, I like I said, I am an American through and through, and, and I don't see that changing. I'm culturally an American. But I don't believe that that gives me the right to tell somebody that the, in a different country that, you know, they're not doing things correctly or that their way of life, their belief system is, is worse than mine, that my way of thinking is better. I find that very arrogant and very divisive. And so I think as Americans, we need to really do some soul searching and say, okay, 
are we really going to adhere to those principles that made our country great? But, you know, and certainly there's a history of division in our country, but at the same token, like, how are we ever going to solve these immense problems that we're facing if we hate each other, if we can't agree to disagree, if we can't compromise? Compromise has become a dirty word in, right, in, in politics yeah. and, and in, in public discourse. And it's, it's really the only way forward is through compromise. I mean, everybody can't have their way. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it's wonderful to embrace where you come from and a system of government. And it's it's great to have ideals, but when the reality doesn't rise to the level of the ideals, it's important to recognize that something is not what, you know, that it, and that we're not infallible or superior. Let's get, give our audience something to think about in terms of what is to be gained by experiencing other cultures than the ones that we are deposited in and that we are raised in, where our tree grows, you know, what is, what is there, how can the exposure to a different culture change and improve your life? Golly, that's a great question. And I just had to, I'll have to give a little plug for my podcast. I just did this most amazing podcast with a gentleman by the name of Ridgely Goldsboro. He, and the title of it is The Incredible Benefits of Becoming a Global Citizen. And he was actually an American, lived there till he was five, went to school in Spain, traveled the world, lived in all sorts of different countries. And he talks about that unique perspective that gives him the gift of really understanding the way different people do things, the way they interact. It's a really, really deep, deep subject. But what I want to say is this to your audience is that your dreams matter because I believe in a world where on our deathbed, you never look back and think, what if? And the reason our dreams are so important is if we can develop the skills and the mindset to create the reality that we want and not look outside ourselves and say, well, I can't do X, Y, Z because of ABC and, and sort of, you know, playing the victim or, or think that you're, you don't have power because we certainly do. What that does for us now, like, you know, we've been very blessed. We've worked hard, you know, for really, we, we sort of dreamed this dream back in 2003 when we got married in the British Virgin Islands. We had this vision of what our life could be like, and it took us a long time to get there because there were lots of twists and turns and lots of skills we needed to learn. And now I'm blessed to be able to share those with people so it doesn't take them that long. But what it's allowed me to do is not focus on me, but really focus on how can I serve? others to be able to help them create their dreams so that collectively as a planet we can have that same skill set to be able to create the community the global community that we want and i don't see how there's any other way to get there i mean what is what is that old saying become the change you want to see in the yes. world yeah. right find your peace Find your happiness, and when you do, that is going to shine a light wherever you go, right? It's it's really turning on more light bulbs as a planet. And it, you know, I've I've got I don't want to get too woo woo and mystical here, but I've I've read a lot on this topic, and it's like it doesn't take that many people on the planet 
that have that sort of energy, that vibration, if you will. And I, I do talk about energy a lot in Claim Your Dream Life as well. But we've got to get away from this toxic energy, right? It's, it's yeah. dangerous. It's dangerous and it doesn't serve us long term. And, and so we all just have to really, that's why your dreams matter. Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.